Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. Well, this is David Warren here with you again for another episode of our podcast series, uh, which I'm delighted to share has continued to be very popular uh, and listened to widely around the country and even around the world. And we've been really humbled to have some amazing guests and people for me to interview uh, from across all aspects, really, of the wealth management world and planning. And, uh, and today, uh, I'm very excited uh, about uh, our guest. Kimberly Nelson is a friend of Bridgeford and a very good friend of mine and known her for many years and have had uh, really the, the great pleasure of sort of watching uh, Kim develop and develop expertise in, in certain areas of wealth management and wealth planning that we're going to get into. Um, and so, Kim, we couldn't be more thrilled to, to have you here. And if you don't mind, I'm going to uh, tell our listeners how amazing you are. So uh, sit, sit quietly for the next hour. And when I wrap up, we can get we can get started with uh, with your expertise. How's that? Well, thank you so much, David. And it is a pleasure to be here with you today. So thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. So, Kim, you have a CFA, which to me I always tell you is so impressive because I, I find that I think it's it's more difficult in some cases to get than than passing the bar exam because it takes three years. And I'm always wildly impressed with that capability as as well as your your background, having been at Morgan Stanley and UBS and Oppenheimer and and Coastal Bridge, which we'll talk about a bit. Um, for our listeners, you might, might remember uh, the, one of the co-founders of Coastal Bridge, Bill Loftus, another good friend of mine in Bridgeford, uh, gave us some time and insight of his. And uh, so that, that name of Coastal Bridge may sound familiar based on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And Kim leads the, um, her and her partner, David, lead the uh, activity in California. And what is really very, very impressive about Kim, I have to say, and, and, and Kim, I'll be honest, I didn't realize just how involved you are uh, in the community. I see mm-hmm. that uh, you've done a lot with Habitat, Habitat for Humanity and Grades of Green, which I've never heard of, which looks to me like you're teaching uh, elementary school kids about the environment and the importance of taking care of it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a fun thing to do. It's, um, you know, uh, here in Southern California, the environment's just near and dear to all of our hearts. We're, it's, it's a very populated area down here. And so we have to take extra care. Um, beaches, things like that. So uh, we find that with anything, whether it's finance or environmental consideration, anything, when you get to the kids when they're young and you instill that uh, that love and that care um, at an early age, they'll grow with that and then teach those around them and make it important to them. So yeah, that's, that's a, a fun thing that uh, David and I are both involved in, actually. It's amazing. I've known you all these years. I, I didn't know that. That's 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 really commendable, and and I guess why it's no surprise that you were recognized in uh, in California and particularly Los Angeles as a woman of achievement, or you've received a woman of achievement award by uh, Century City Chamber, which is amazing, Kim. It's something else I didn't know about you. You uh, as well as I thought I knew you. I I should have read your your bio many years ago. I would have known so much more about you. But congratulations. That that's fantastic. I was in 2019, right? Yeah, it was. It was right right before the pandemic, and um, that was a lot of fun. And um, and I was certainly, um, you know, very humbled and honored to uh, to receive that award and and have the chance to speak a little bit about what I do and um, and the importance of financial literacy uh, in our communities and whatnot. So that was that was a nice event. 
Right. So I understand you work with children in that capacity as well. Is that right? We're helping helping them understand financial literacy. You know, it's not so much children. It's more uh, adults, um, you know, people who have come to the United States and maybe um, English isn't their first language. And they're not only learning the U.S. financial system, but also a lot of things, it's just a totally new environment all over the place. And, and I found that um, a lot of women, especially they might stay in a relationship, not because they want to be in that relationship, but because it's economically the best decision for them. So if you can teach them about finance and how money works, how saving works, interest rates, credit cards, all these important things that I think a lot of us take for granted, um, having grown up in this country, or just grown up with a family that uh, places a lot of value on that kind of education, you know, when you don't have that, um, you find yourself making a lot of decisions out of fear or uh, desperation versus a place of empowerment or really um, wanting to do that for yourself. So, you know, um, a lot of the work that um, the uh, L.A. Center for Law and Justice does in helping women escape abusive relationships, um, the pattern tends to repeat when you don't provide that education of, uh, of financial literacy and background. So um, teaching women how money works, how they can use money as a tool to help themselves and their families uh, really is what keeps them from getting back into one of those relationships that they've worked so hard to get themselves out of. So that's been a very rewarding um, you know, aspect of community involvement as well. So quite literally, information is power with these women it that you're is. talking to. And uh, it's inspiring to hear you, hear, hear you be involved like that. And I'm looking forward to talking more about that, uh, Kimberly, because I think that's uh, what I've been most impressed about seeing your career develop is, is your focus on, on helping not only women, but men through the financial discussion around divorce. Um, but before we get there, I, I have to say, um, in addition to thanking you uh, for being on our podcast, also thank you for the opportunity to collaborate uh, so well together. We have the ability to, and have had the ability to do some some great work together, uh, and of course, uh, based in South Dakota law, trust law, and am reminded, I believe, that you have a connection to South Dakota other than me and Bridgeford. Is that correct? Or, or didn't you live no, in South Dakota or North Dakota? You're very close. Yep, it's North Dakota. I was actually born in North Dakota, so um, northern North Dakota near uh, Williston. Um, which is a teeny tiny town that was put on the map back in the mid 2000s when they uh, discovered oil. The the center of uh, the Bakken shale drilling efforts was Williston, North Dakota. So um, I am definitely familiar with uh, with North Dakota and South Dakota for that reason. But I will say um, I've had a great reintroduction to my roots uh, through you, David, because uh, South Dakota trusts are something that we've done quite a bit of with you and Bridgeford in the last several years. Uh, it's been wildly helpful to our clients in terms of asset protection. And, um, you know, I had no idea what uh, what value those states were bringing to the estate planning world um, until until Bridgeford uh, came into our orbit. So thank you. Well, we, well, thank you for saying that. We, we love the collaboration with you all and, and our friendship. And we have done, I think, some amazing things together for clients. Um, so, which leads me to, to Coastal Bridge. You know, I, I noticed something uh, that I also hadn't noticed before. A really interesting quote that uh, that you said was one of the things you, you like most about uh, Coastal Bridge, which is kind of a catchphrase, which is uncomplicated. Talk to me about that and talk to me about mm-hmm. Coastal Bridge and, and give uh, give our listeners uh, kind of a snapshot as to as to not only your role there, but but the special place that Coastal Bridge has in the wealth management world, because I do think Coastal Bridge is very, very different and very special. So uncomplicated for me, Kimberly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I do like that phrase because I think that so much about the estate planning world, the financial world 
it is very complicated. And for a lot of people uh, that don't have a lot of background in this area, it can be kind of scary whenever you approach something that um, that, that is new or different or that you, you don't have a lot of background in. So Coastal Bridge was actually formed back in 2008, um, right as the, uh, the world was falling apart during the credit crisis by a couple of uh, Merrill Lynch um, um, uh, refugees, I guess you can say, uh, <laughs> Kevin Burns and Jim Pratt Heaney left Merrill Lynch in 2008 and formed Coastal Bridge really just because the big banks were a lot less centered on the client and just a lot more centered on the big bank. So David and I um, have worked together for almost 17 years, David James, and we uh, left UBS to join Coastal Bridge in 2016. Um, and when we left, I must say, I felt like I was working a lot more for a big firm at UBS than I was for the client. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to go to work for the client. And so what we liked so much about Coastal Bridge is that it's a small boutique firm and it really focuses on offering the client the uh, the best thing for them. We're fiduciaries here at Coastal Bridge versus simply being bound to the suitability standard like we were at the big banks. So if a client needs something, we can go anywhere to get it. We aren't just stuck with the bank products. And, um, you know, I think that what makes Coastal Bridge extra special is just that we we are on both coasts. Um, a lot of firms don't have that same presence. And a lot of the uh, key players at Coastal Bridge have been with the firm or with uh, the team for a very long time. We've got some team members that actually date back more than 20 years working with uh, Jim, Kevin and Bill. And then, of course, David and I have worked together for nearly 20 years and, um you know, we've all come together and there's more than 100 years of advisory uh, experience among all of us together, nearly 200 if you add it all together. So sure. Really, it's an impressive uh, team. I can tell you it's an impressive team. And I mean, to interrupt you. I, I uh, And I love the bi-coastal. I love it when you refer to yourselves as bi-coastal. I, yeah, I don't know why are. I think that's so funny, but I, I, I like to say that myself. And when we launch our yeah. office in Southern California, we can say the same thing. Well, that's true. Although you can almost say the same thing now because you've got a presence in uh, several states also, including Miami and um, South Dakota. So I guess uh, California would be the last coast that you're missing. So you've got just about everything. Can't wait to get there with you. That's especially on a day like today. I, I mentioned how hot it is in Miami. So when you get here in a couple of weeks, you uh, be, be prepared to be very hot. And uh, Looking and forward humid. to it. <laughs> Looking forward so to really, it. really what I, I'm excited to transition to now, Kimberly, is is – what I think is, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, extraordinarily inspiring work that you're doing, and and you know your your focus on on divorce and the financial literacy around that for uh, women primarily, but also men, of course, uh, and and what you've done in that space over the last years is is really astounding, and and you've emerged as unquestionably an expert in this conversation, and and I am. Um, I kind of want to begin with what drew you to this topic? I mean, I, I see that you're very altruistic. I see that you want to give back to the community. So I sense maybe a part of that is that same desire is to just help people. But, but generally speaking, though, how, how did you become so passionate about this area of wealth planning? You know, um, I'll tell you what it was, David, um, is I actually became interested in this when I was helping a couple of clients about 10, 12 years ago, ago go through their own divorce. And um, I really saw how the um, 
you know, assuming it's a husband wife situation, I, I felt like the wife was just underrepresented. And the, and the reason why was because she tended to be the one that had not made the money throughout the marriage, didn't have the connections to the network that her husband had. And by the time she was hiring her attorneys, she was kind of um, almost a victim to her attorneys and their litigation process, whatever they wanted to do, she kind of had to go along with. And it was really a lot of decision making from a place of not having the information. And I, I thought that if I could be an advocate for these women, I could just help them make better decisions for them in their lives. And so I find that getting involved with uh, with women as they are starting the divorce process, showing them what their life can look like post-divorce, helping them through that process. And if there are any hard truths that they need to come to grasp and understand that I'm there with them each step so that they can um, can start to plan their life uh, in a way that makes them feel you know, powerful and and uh, and confident to move forward and and not fearful and and scared and as if they're at the mercy of their attorneys and their soon to be ex husbands, you know, uh, agendas. Sure. So, um, well, well it, somebody who's had. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just say it sort of happened by accident. There just aren't that many women in this industry, in my industry, and so um, you know, people thinking about women and their needs and um, you know, and how. Uh, how best to support them. I just don't know that there's a whole lot of, uh, of thought being put into that right now. So it, I kind of fell into it. Well, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. And having gone through a, a divorce myself, it's, it's, I think it's scary, not, not only for women, but I think also for men. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is it emotional and, and, and a time of turmoil and all of that, especially when there's children involved, but Absolutely. The, the terrifying aspects of, of finances. I mean, I, I could tell you from my own personal experience that was that was pretty terrifying to figure out how you break a, break apart finances and a home and and what you can afford and what you can't afford when 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 one income becomes all that's there, but but the the obligations continue. So um, I think it's a compelling topic. I think there's not enough written about it, and I don't think it's talked about <clears throat> as openly as it, as it should be. Um, primarily for women, but as I said, I think also for men as well. And and so with that, I mean, what are, what are the themes uh, that you're seeing, or what what are the topics that that drive your discussions with with I guess sounds like primarily primarily women. And I I guess really where I'm going is wh- where does the prenup and trust discussion come in? Uh, maybe that's a good place to start. Now, how how does that become part of your conversation? Those tools, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, good question. And, and you're right. It's 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 equally emotional for men and women. You never know who wanted the divorce or, um, you know, who who doesn't want the divorce. Or maybe both parties do in a way, but they but they don't. It's a big change, no matter what, no matter who you are. And especially in a place like Southern California, where I'm located, David, the cost of running a single household is so great that the thought of running two households, mm-hmm. whether you're the spouse that's earning or you're the spouse that is is not earning, and you feel like you're going to be dependent on alimony and child support, it's just scary from either side, you know. So. So both parties um, need to think about this and what kind of life they want their children to have and what they're going to be able to do um, personally and, of course, for the other. So prenups and trusts are really the two main documents that um, that are in play either before, during or after the uh, the marriage and divorce. And of course, nobody wants to think about divorce when they're getting married. But doing a little bit of this thinking up front can can definitely be helpful because it's um, 
it's one more thing that you don't have to work out then on the back end. You know, there's, there's so much emotion involved in it that um, if you can settle some of this stuff up front, hopefully you'll never need to pull these documents out um, if, if it's a prenup. Um, but if you have a lot of assets going into a marriage, you definitely need to think about this a little bit. Um, in the day and age 2022, we're not all getting married when we're 20 years old and, and before we have careers. A lot of us are getting married later in life, having kids later in life. Um, second marriages and even third marriages are a thing. And, um, you know, it, it may be that you want to create both of these documents, but, um, you know, a prenup is essentially a document that dictates what's going to happen after a marriage, if a marriage is dissolved. And, um, and, and prenups are pretty ironclad. Um, they can be a little bit tougher to enforce if there are children born from the marriage, obviously, because child support comes into play. But um, you definitely want to consult with, a, uh, with an estate attorney or a divorce attorney prior to a marriage just to see what kind of prenup options you have and, and what they think you should be protecting. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to fight over assets. And so you know, what the best structure is for you, your attorney can help you work through. Um, something that's really important also is that the prenup to be valid has to be reviewed by an attorney representing both the husband and the wife. Um, you can't just have one attorney representing both sides or the prenup could be unenforceable, depending on what you're in. So it's important that if, if you're the earner and, and you've got the assets and you're wanting your soon-to-be spouse to um, to sign a prenup, they do need to get their own attorney and have their own separate representation. Sure. Yeah, I did some work in that space when I practiced law. And, you know, I could tell you in, in Pennsylvania, they're, they're not actually very airtight. And there's so many nuances uh, <clears throat> in the law there uh, that um, often uh, they're not seen as the, as the strongest way to uh, protect the, both sides. Um, so I, I'm not sure how they are on, on, in other parts of the, the country, which, which is interesting because along with that, and I know you're going to get there, is is using trusts in in lieu of or sometimes in conjunction with prenups. But I'm interested though. On the West Coast, you find that that prenups are are used the word sort of iron or two words ironclad. Um, so it sounds like they're, they're a little stronger there uh, out there than they are. Um, maybe it's because of all the movie stars. Yeah, and, you uh, know, and also it's a big deal for us out here. Yeah, it's a big deal. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> What, what, what makes them ironclad? What really makes them ironclad is your behavior during the marriage. It's very important that you never commingle marital assets with any separate assets, especially those that are addressed by that prenup. Um, you know, you, you've, you've got to make sure that everything stays separate. Um, you know, for example, if you own a home, okay, you own a home prior to your marriage and then you get married, um, if the home is to remain a separate asset, you can certainly address that in the prenup. But then what's also important is that you need to make sure that no earned income uh, from the marriage is being used to pay the mortgage of that home if that mortgage is a principal and interest amortizing loan. Because if suddenly you are using uh, marital assets to pay that mortgage, well, now the home that was named in that prenup as being a separate asset uh, it's it's separate status is called into question now, and there's a lot of room legally for your spouse to go claim that any um, any equity gain on the home from the date of the marriage should actually be community. So that, that that's a popular snag here in California. A lot of people don't don't understand that. So I didn't realize that either. You shared that with me a couple of weeks ago, and that's that's a that's a 
important nuance not to get wrong uh and uh, i guess it's again gets goes to and speaks to the importance of people like you who who know that to be true and have seen that happen and and that's where you become invaluable i think to your clients well talk to me about trust and how you've seen them used and i guess not so much in place of perhaps on the west coast like i have seen on the east coast but maybe more so in conjunction with how, how do you see them uh, coexist yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think the two of them together is certainly ideal. And especially if you have the level of assets where you're even considering a prenup, you should have a trust anyway. You should have a revocable trust. Um, you know, trusts protect you from probate. They tell the world what's to happen to your assets if you're no longer here to uh, to dictate that yourself. So if, if you're th- even thinking about a prenup, you should already have a trust. So um, trusts can be more airtight than prenups in some cases and in some states. So prior to the marriage, you'd you'd place your personal separate assets into a revocable trust. This means that you effectively no longer own that property. It's owned by the trust, which would protect your assets from your spouse in a divorce and can also protect your assets from other creditors, by the way, also. So, um, So you can put real estate in there. You can put vehicles in there, investments, other qualified items. Um, You can also remove or add assets uh, during the life of the trust and change the terms of that trust if you'd like. You can name yourself the sole beneficiary. You can choose multiple other beneficiaries if you'd like. Um, But basically, you place the assets into the trust and then assets inside of the trust, um, what happens to them is dictated by the terms of that trust. So if you were to divorce and that trust uh, had never been breached, you never uh, placed any any marital assets into that trust or anything like that, then along with your prenup, you know, the, the trust document itself dictates who's the owner of those assets and, and what happens. And, and I think actually, mm-hmm. David, the, um, the South Dakota trusts that we've used with you and with, uh, with your firm, um, a big benefit that we remind our clients of is that there is divorce protection and creditor protection around those assets. And that's hugely valuable to a lot of our, our high net worth clients. Yeah, Kimberly, that's a great point. Thanks for saying that. I mean, South Dakota, uh, in states like South Dakota that have an asset domestic uh, protection statute, um, really have become um, sort of the destination for these types of trusts. And, and those trusts are typically um, irrevocable. And you spoke of revocable trusts, of course, for other type of planning. But the asset protection piece of it, which works so well in conjunction with prenups and um, or in, not even in conjunction, but instead of prenups, is it's the irrevocable nature that that makes the asset protection piece of it work. But it's so interesting, though, to hear you talk about it from a, a West Coast regional perspective, because in the in the Northeast, there's there's probably even more of a of a, a preference for trusts without even prenups, just because they're so complicated to get in place correctly, and then they get they get pierced a lot. But uh, but your experience is, is really is really interesting. And um, with respect to trust, though, even during marriage, is there have you seen? Um, um, well, I guess that's a different question. Talk talk to you about post nups. Do, do you do you see that a lot in your planning? You know, um, I don't see it so much, but it, it can happen. And post-nups, you know, when those come into play, I'll tell you where, I, where I've seen it most often is that something has happened during the marriage that causes someone to want to post-nup. And usually the thing that's happened is maybe someone has cheated or something like that. And suddenly one spouse wants to modify the arrangement. Um, and of course, if both spouses want to keep the marriage together versus seeking a divorce, that's usually where I see a post-nup is that they they will agree to something to keep the marriage together. Sure. And um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. If you have a revocable trust, again, the same, the same advice is there, even in the case of a postnup, I wouldn't put marital assets ever into a revocable trust. Um, irrevocable trusts, of course, you can create at any point. And maybe I'll just define for everybody, David, you know, the, the difference between the revocables and the irrevocables, since you and I sure. live in this world, and a lot of people don't, you know, generally speaking, if asset protection is your goal, a revocable living trust may not be the proper vehicle for that purpose. The, the settler or the person who creates that trust essentially retains control and ownership of the trust assets so they can remove assets from the trust or change the trust terms at any time while the trust itself simply holds title to the assets. So um, in the event that a creditor wins a lawsuit against the settler, for example, the court could order a payout of those trust assets in the settlement of that claim. Um, the revocable living trust is helpful in conjunction with the prenup, though, as we discussed earlier, because it does take the ownership away from the individual and place it into an entity or, or that of a, of a trust. So even though revocable trusts don't offer asset protection straight up, they do have uh, other benefits. And when used properly with a prenup, they can be really great. So an irrevocable trust gives an even greater uh level of asset protection. So as the name suggests, once the trust is created, you cannot revoke it by yourself by changing the terms, nor do you have control over those assets. Mm -hmm. So um, so the trust's right. assets are in the control of a trustee. No, that's great. I'm glad you, thank you for defining. I'm glad you made that distinction. Yeah. And there's also a component, though, to whether it's revocable or irrevocable in South Dakota in particular, that I know you were aware mm -hmm. of, which is the privacy component of of, uh, right. of South Dakota law, and what I'm referring to, of course, is the the power of a trust protector to tell a trustee like Bridgeford not to tell the beneficiary of an existence or of the existence of a trust. And so, where we've seen that invoked is a, a trust established before marriage uh, that can even have as a beneficiary ultimately at some point that one of the spouses or say the, you know, the other spouse. Um, although under South Dakota law, there's no obligation to tell the spouse that it even exists. So that's another component of the um, asset protection and privacy that people look to, at least in South Dakota. Now, just to make be clear, that's only in South Dakota. I believe that's codified, but still a planning nuance that I know you're aware of when, when talking to your um, talking to your clients and the people you advise. I wanted to switch gears a little bit because I came across <laughs> something today, actually, ironically, um, on social media that highlighted you yeah. and highlighted oh, really? uh, something. Yes, it was um, it was uh, a police blog. No, I'm kidding. It was actually <laughs> on on LinkedIn, and it was uh, it was another podcast that uh, it looks like you were on. And it's you you the title or the the phrase that was used that I read was something called financial infidelity. Could you define that yeah. for me and what you mean by that? Because it really struck me and, um, and I, I, I'm sure our listeners would like to understand that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that you saw that. That's kind of a fun topic and one that's really timely right now too. financial infidelity. You know, as the name there would suggest, it's basically cheating on your spouse uh, with money. I mean, people think of, of cheating as, um, you know, something a little more salacious and something a little more personal here. But, you know, financial cheating is a thing as well. And, um, you know, if I could be so bold, David, I would suggest that anytime you're lying to your spouse, it's some form of cheating. And um, a lot of people can find themselves in a situation where their spouse has spent money on something or taken debt 
um, or, you know, even has an addiction of some kind that they didn't know about. And their financial situations far different than they were actually led to believe that it was. And thankfully, as, as time goes on, again, we're in 2022, not 1952, the story's changing. Um, you know, both spouses are often responsible now for the finances within the home. But uh, at a time when usually only one spouse, and in the past, usually it was the husband, uh, the wife was in the dark about what the, the true situation was and, and trusted him completely to manage the finances. And you could find yourself in a situation that you just had no idea you'd ever be facing. So, um, you know, financial infidelity, again, I think that that is a great thing that a prenup or an asset protection trust can help you with as well. Um, when you have assets that are segregated and away from the, the spouse's control, you can be certain that whatever that spouse does or, uh, you know, whatever actions they take, it won't ever breach those assets. You know, if, if a spouse were to have a gambling addiction, for example, the assets inside of a revocable living trust that are separate and apart and protected by a prenup would not be in play to pay for that, for that debt. Sure. For example. No, that makes sense. So, I'm, I'm glad you defined that. I, so what are others, other than the, the prenup or, well, I guess trust planning doesn't necessarily address that. Um, what else do you do or how, what else do you tell your, your clients to do to um, avoid that? I mean, I would imagine maybe just the request for full disclosure, maybe pre-marriage, even outside of a prenup. What, what, how else can we, can we avoid that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I mean, besides prenups and, and asset protection trusts and various estate planning measures, I think that just having a conversation, sitting down to have that financial discussion and, and sitting down, by the way, with your tax returns, okay, just sitting down and talking about it, I don't think is enough. The tax return is really the source of truth for anyone's uh, anyone's wealth and anyone's income. So you sit down with the tax returns and just have a discussion and make sure that you're on the same page about how you want to live and how finances will be handled. Um, I don't really believe that it matters how much or how little a couple has. It's whether or not they agree with what to do with what they have that is going to cause a, a marriage to not hit road bumps when it comes to finance. You know, there's so many things to fight about, David, in a marriage, as I'm sure you're you're well aware, that if, if you don't want finances to be one of them, then sitting down and having a conversation, discussing it and being open and honest. I, I don't think you have to hide anything at all from your spouse. It's okay to protect it from your spouse. But I think that they should know what you have and, and, and what you have going on so that there just aren't any surprises. You know, when you um, possibly do go through a divorce, then your spouse won't ever be able to say that they didn't know that you had that and they didn't know that the prenup addressed that or something mm -hmm. like that along those lines. Mm -hmm. I think full and fair disclosure and everyone being in the know is is important. No, I think that's a great point. And, and you alluded to something a moment ago, too, that I was going to ask you to expand on. Um, and, and we get this question in, in perception as well all the time at Bridgeford as well is, well, you know, these concepts are fine, but, you know, I'm not worth a billion dollars or half a, half a billion dollars. So do I even have to care about this? Uh, I'm not rich and famous and I don't have properties all over the world. Do I need asset protection? Do I need a prenup? Do I need to even listen to Kimberly as she's talking about some of these concepts? And how do you respond to that? You know, um, that's a really good question too, David, because I think a lot of people, you know, what is a lot of money to every single person that means something different? So do you have a lot of money? Only you can answer that. You know, I really don't know. But I can tell you that if you have anything at all that you intend to keep separate, 
then I think that you should have some kind of document, um, something that just codifies what you're coming into the marriage with and what you expect to leave the marriage with. And if there's going to be some kind of agreement about what is staying separate or what will be separate, then everyone agreeing and signing a document saying they're in agreement is really important. Um, you know, when you have a marriage that's 20, 25, 35 years, longer than that even, we have a lot of gray divorces happening these days where people have been married for 40 years or longer. It's really, really murky uh, what belongs to who and how it should be divided up. And, you know, prenups are not new. They've been around for a, a very long time. But I think that the widespread usage of prenups is a relatively new concept. And, you know, even if you only have 100 grand that you think should be separate, just drafting up a document that says it's separate and having both parties sign it, it can be done relatively cheaply and easily as well. If you, um, if you choose not to go the attorney route, um, there are resources like LegalZoom and um, Divorce.net that can help you draft those things up. And as long as both parties have sought their separate counsel and have uh, you know, reviewed them apart from each other and signed, then um, at least you have a starting point for discussion purposes if you ever wind up getting divorced. And, you know, uh, a prenup or a trust is not a premonition of divorce, should not be considered an escape route, um, having either in place um, you know, can protect your assets in the event of your death as well. So, um, you know, you can ensure that your assets are going to the to the right place. But I, I know it's not fun to talk about prenups. So you should definitely have um, a nice dinner with a bottle of wine planned after the whole thing is signed and everything to get back on the right track. I mean, this is the most assuming unromantic. You get, uh, assuming you get to dinner, you know, right? That's the question. You, you know, get you'll you'll get to dinner. If, let me tell you, if if you're if you're going to actually make it to the altar, you should be able to get to dinner after this. Okay, if you, you can't, then um, you know. You might want to reconsider the whole thing, but but I will say that I work with an awful lot of divorce attorneys, and um, they do uh, have a day where both parties sign these things, and they say that ninety percent of the time people are leaving a little bit upset. So I, I will warn you that um, during the negotiations, when everybody signs, uh, there there probably will be some feelings around this. That's okay. We're all humans, but um, you know, remember that this is a document that's hopefully going in the drawer and never coming back out. But if it does need to come back out, it's just important that everybody knows what they signed and has had fair representation. And um, you know, uh, modifications uh, can be made if they need to be made. So you're not signing away your entire life, but um, you know, it's something to, to to not take lightly and to really be very thoughtful of. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, and you know, Kimberly, I love the work you're doing. I said this earlier uh, in our conversation, but it really is an underserved area. I think it's vital work. Um, I, I very much think you're, particularly as you advise women, you're empowering them to sort of equalize the imbalance of power often that kind of exists. And so, um, you know, huge kudos to you and your focus. I know um, sometimes we call it work and it's just business, but I can tell for you, this is much more than just work and business. It's a passion and you are doing great work for people uh, on the West Coast and really around the country. Uh, so on that topic of, of divorce and, and preparing the financial uh, literacy piece of it for both men and women, anything else you'd like to add or any experiences you'd like to share? 
You know, um, I would just say that uh, whenever you're unsure about your own situation and what you should be doing, engaging a professional is really the best way to go about it. A financial advisor, a CPA, an attorney, um, take a partner with you on the decision. You don't have to make that decision alone. Um, you know, get somebody that's been there who knows a lot about it and just see what they think of your situation. And, um, you know, I, I've got so many tales, David, of things that have gone right and gone wrong. Um, we'd be here all day if I if I told you all of those stories. But, um, you know, for, for every single time that there was not a document, I definitely have a story. So I would say uh, to err on the side of caution. And if you're not sure if you need a document, go ahead and get one. And uh, you can start small. Start with the trust and go from there. Um, if your estate attorney thinks that you need uh, more than your trust before you get married, they can refer you to a family law attorney. Um, you can talk about it a little bit further. Um, your financial advisor probably has a great person in mind as well, or a CPA um, to talk about what the uh, the tax side of, of all of this could be, the ramifications of a of a divorce um, based on your your assets. So. Um, you know, I, I love marriage. I'm a big believer in marriage. I think that uh, you should always, um, you know, put love first. And, you know, if you've been married, divorced, uh, don't give up, give it another try. I, you, people that have been married um, twice or even three times, what I love about them, David, is that they haven't given up on love. They haven't given up on their life. They haven't given up on themselves. So don't be afraid to do it again, just because you've had a bad experience. Um, and I, I think that's a, a really good note to end on. Absolutely, Kimberly. That was perfectly said, and um, and I'll, I'll repeat myself a bit again by saying how proud I am of uh, our relationship in terms of our firms and the friendship we have developed over the years, and the collaboration that we've been able to share with you and David James and Bill Loftus and the rest of the Coastal Bridge team. Uh, it's really been a pleasure watching you advance and develop in terms of the expertise that uh, you have created for yourself. So congratulations and well, thank um, thank the- you, David. And the feeling is certainly mutual. We, um, we've really enjoyed our association and, and what we've learned. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be at this firm and, and the, the groundwork that uh, these partners have laid, um, you know, between 2008 to 2016, when I started, um, you know, we had a great runway for a lot of different planning initiatives. And it's really been a, a great thing for us and for our clients. Oh, absolutely. No, it's an amazing story. So for our listeners, Kimberly's information will certainly be uh, be attached. Uh, please check out the website, look at Kim's bio, and, and by all means, reach out to Kimberly directly if you have questions around um, this topic uh, or generally wealth management and asset management. Uh, we focused on Kimberly's expertise, but she also is, uh, has many other expertise in the wealth management, wealth management space as well. And I urge any of you who have an issue in that regard to uh, to reach out to Kimberly. So once again, Kimberly, it's wonderful having you here. I've been wanting to do this for a long time with you. Uh, and um, unless you have anything else to add for our listeners, I will, I will let you uh, prepare for your trip to Miami. Well, thanks so much, David. And anybody who uh, wants to discuss you know, their own personal situation, I just encourage them to reach out. Always happy to opine and, uh, and give some guidance there. And I just really appreciate you and your time today, David. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Kimberly. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.